Welcome to Before You Go. I'm Nicole Franklin. And I'm Bryant Monte. And today on KVLA Talk 1580, we're talking with Mr. Frank Coates. Now, Frank is a Korean War veteran and served in the 101st Airborne Infantry Division. He's a father, grandfather, and a friend to many throughout the Compton community. He's definitely someone in our listening area we wanted to hear more about. Hello, Mr. Coates. Good morning. Good morning. Yes. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. Thank, thanks for asking. Oh, yes. Well, thank you for joining us. And where in town are you joining us in the Los Angeles area, please? Compton, California. Awesome. Compton. Love it. <laughs> How long have you lived there? Oh, probably 40 years. When I moved in here, you couldn't buy a black person couldn't buy a home here. They had to buy it under the table. Buy it under the table. A black person had to buy a home under the table, you're yes. saying, in Compton? Yes. At, now, in, why... this, in this section. Oh, okay. Which section is that? Well, it's uh, right at the tip end of North Long Beach. Okay. Where Long Beach, okay. the, where the Compton College is at. All right. Okay. So you went ahead and bought. What motiva motivated you to do so? Well, because I was coming from a small rural uh, town in Kentucky, and uh, I had a pretty good life there, but a hard life. And then we just didn't mm -hmm. take no for an answer when they tell you something. So I got with a Caucasian lady that was a real estate lady that knew a black lady, and the black lady went under the table and waited to the Caucasian people went to work. Then it was sure that my wife and I was coming here because she was still in the military and I was out. And so mm -hmm. uh, we got here and we couldn't buy this house. And so uh, that's how we did it. So when the white folks went to work, the black folks sneaked in and looked at the house. And when the house was sold, they didn't know who it was sold to until we showed up. I can only imagine the surprise on their faces when you came with the moving truck and <laughs> well, started moving to the house. Well, can you describe that day? <laughs> well, when we first moved in, my wife, like I said, she was still in the military, and she wouldn't come out because Brinken brought us across country, and the Caucasian across the street, when they seen the Brinken truck pull up in the front of the house, the Caucasian guys went in the house and took the binoculars. They was also ex-military. They went in the house and looked through the binoculars out the window to see who was there. They thought I was a worker helping unload the tray, uh, the furniture truck. <laughs> oh. And then when the truck pulled off and they looked up, my wife was on the porch. And then the phones started ringing. Everybody got me out to the yard. So then a next door neighbor, Caucasian, did not uh, speak to me, but his wife would slip and speak to me over the fence when he went to work. And he had a son was 19, I think, was a minister, going mm -hmm. to school to be a minister. And so he, uh, he would talk to me, but the old man never did talk to me. So the first time I spoke to him is when they started the big, burned down in Watts. It was burning up Watts. And he came to the fence that morning. And he says, excuse me, sir, it's about time for us to get acquainted. I said, I already know you. 
He said, do you think they're going to burn up the whole city? I said, I don't care. I says, I don't care as long as they don't bother me. He says, well, I don't know who they might bother. I said, I don't care who they bother as long as they don't bother me. So that's how him and I got to talking. But he uh, he got pretty good after that. Then the other people was very good after that. And you didn't necessarily know the people burning down I, Watts, but no, you thought no, he might I have been. No, <laughs> I didn't even know where Watts was. I was just coming to California. <laughs> what year are we talking about, Mr. Coates, please? About uh, 55, 56. Wow. So you would say, um, are we saying you're the first black family in that area of Compton? To no, in? no, I was not the first black I uh, went to work for the Veterans Administration mm -hmm. when I first got here. And then I met a, a black guy there and he told me he lived here and I told him he did not. And he swore that he lived here and told me that for about a month and he went and wanted me to follow him home. So I followed him home. So he lived down on the tip end of the corner. Oh. And uh, he told me to get out and come in. I said, I'm not going in there because black folk can't go in there. And he says, I live here. He got his key out and he went up and opened the door. We looked all around in the house and come back out. And so I said, well, how did you get there? So he was a Navy guy. Most people, he was a Navy guy and he married a, a, a Australian lady. She came here and bought the house before he came. So she, oh, she was considered okay. as Caucasian. And so when he, when he showed up, he wanted somebody else over here with him. But he lived in here a good while, I'd say a year before anybody else came. And that was me. So you're the second family. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. And wow. so you did get to know your neighbors. I mean, how did you feel? Or how well, long um, did it take you to get comfortable in the neighborhood? Well, it, it didn't take me very long because the first day, uh, the second day after we was here, they were still looking out the windows and things. So me being with the military and I still had a military rifle. So I took my military and set out on the front step and start cleaning my rifle. Mm -hmm. And they was looking at my rifle. And then the guys across the street, there was a young, younger guy. He says, I don't think mm -hmm. we better get acquainted. You look like you got some firing power that I got. And I said, yeah. And I know how to use them. <laughs> and I said, I was, right. and so they got real friendly with me. And so all of the Caucasians, when they see them talking to me, they would look out and come out in the yard and cut yards and all of that kind of stuff. But they, they was real nice. So he says, hey, you don't have nothing to worry about. We got your back over here. It was three military right. soldiers that uh, men lived in that house. And, you know, military, we're all family, right? Yeah, sure. Kind of family. Let's go back a little bit before you moved to uh, you know, that East Compton area. So you grew up where? Where'd you grow up? In Kentucky. What, what part? Small place, uh, Rowlett's, Kentucky, R-O-W-L-E-T-T-S, Kentucky. And in that area where I grew up was only white and black. Okay. And it was the uh, white coaches and black coaches mm -hmm. in, the oh, in, the, in that settlement. Okay, so white, let's, let's break that down. Is this white coats from... Plantations, as we're talking about, and black coats. Were you all family, essentially? 
Uh, I don't know. I don't know that. But I know the white coaches spelt their name with an E-S. And then the way they knew you was black, you spelt your name with an E, no S. Okay. And See, so one was a C-O-A-T-E-S and the other was a C-O-A-T-S, black with mm-hmm, just no an e. S, because we couldn't spell them, so it was easier for us to just have a smaller, shorter. <laughs> so we was all in there together, but they was very, very, very nice to us. I'm just going to go back to what you were said just a little while ago about uh, growing up in a tough environment. That's what kind of built in you that um, that mindset to not give up or not take no for an answer. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I figured if I could go, well, I, I, I go back to the military. When the guy went into the military, they had the army kind of separated in. And then I wasn't familiar with Hispanic people. And they was down in training with us. And so they slept in the barracks with the Caucasian and we slept in the barrack with the blacks. Mm -hmm. And so there, after we got in training for a while, we was looking at each other's card, you know, ID card. Well, the uh, the Mexicans went in from California, they went in the army as Caucasian. And we blacks from all over went in as NEG. So hmm. that was different. And then they, we went to Fort George B. Maryland to do our uh, rendezvous for the army. And then we stayed there one day and they got the fighting up there because the guys coming down from New York and New Jersey, the Caucasian, because they couldn't see in the barrack with the blacks, the black couldn't see in the uh, barrack with them. So we stayed one night and they put us on the plane, and took us back to Kentucky. Hmm. But getting back to where I grew up in Kentucky in the beginning, when they, the Caucasian people was very, very good to us. And then uh, we all played together. My grandmother lived to be uh, 103, and she took care of all of the white and blacks. And she was authorized to whip the white one just like she did the black one because everybody was struggling together. A lot of the white people were struggling, and a lot of the black were struggling. So it was just one family, only we just had a different spelling of the last name mm. E's and the S. There there may be some connection there. I'm going (laughs) to, I'm thinking that is a little too coincidental. (laughs) Um, And sometimes we don't, you know, it's not safe to tell or make the connection, you know. I rest that case. Yes. (laughs) I understand. I understand. The post office, they had so many blacks, I mean, so many boxes for the black and so many for the white Caucasian. And so uh, we got along fine and hey, and a lot of times we hunt together and if they kill, they didn't, uh, if they killed too many rabbits, they would bring the rabbits to the, where we live, they divide them out, just, I don't know, they took good care of us. I never seen a bad day there, not, you know, like I heard, I read about in some places where it was bad. So why leave Kentucky? 
Why leave Kentucky? Yes. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll go around. Uh, the reason I left Kentucky, they they took me out of Kentucky because of going to the army. Okay. They had the draft then. They went through the high school and they said the last year of high school before we got to graduate, they put us in the military. That's how we left. So, did you, did get, you graduate? No. Wow. No. So they pulled you Never out, you were what, 16, 17? I was uh, 17. 17. 17, the last year. Yeah. Okay. I did not know they they um, drafted people before graduation. <laughs> I was unaware of that. I knew that it was around that age group. I didn't know that uh, you weren't allowed to graduate. Yeah. Well, they had to draft, and they needed you. They took you. Mm-hmm. And that was for the uh, Korean War. Yeah. So you went to Korea. I went to Korea, and when you when we got to Korea, we was. I guess probably 60% minority, mostly black. We got to Korea. We didn't stop till we got to the front line. Mm -hmm. So we got in, we got to the front line. We got in the trenches, got a a gear and got in the trenches. And let's see, uh, about a year there and three months in Korea. I was sergeant. Now you, you're a military man, right? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. So I was sergeant. You didn't take long. <laughs> I, I thought it was. Oh, no. I, th- I thought it was great, but it wasn't that. It How wasn't. That it wasn't <laughs> that great, because I was talking to this Caucasian guy in there, and he was a PFC, and he'd been there. Uh, over a year, and he's still a PFC. But in that, you could turn down the rank. And I didn't, know, you know, Green, I didn't know any better. I thought, hey, I'm doing good. But then he, he says, you better be careful. I said, why? He says, you know, the sergeant that was leading that uh, uh, patrol got killed. And they offered you sergeant stripes. I said, well, I, that's what I'm in here for, to make money. But I hadn't even thought, hey, you going up in the front. Oh. And so about 25 days later, they cease fire. Hmm. So that's 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 how close I was to it. Because all of the leaders, when you, it was up front, they was, they were picking them off. Goodness. I would be afraid if some of that were friendly fire. I mean, I don't want to accuse anyone, but war is yeah, tough. Yeah, everybody trying to, every, when you got there, you didn't, you didn't have no color. Everybody was trying to take care of each other. Yeah. Mm. As trenches, it's, it's, it's you trying to survive. Right. And, and uh, you know, it's funny in the uh, history of uh, our military, a lot of times we don't talk much about the Korean War. And what do you think that yeah. is? What do you think that is? I really don't know. I never, I never figured it out. It's just like a lost war. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could you tell us what your orders were specifically? You were in a certain area to accomplish what goal? <laughs> Pushing forward to try to get over the mountains. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what, you know, I don't know what I was there for. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> we were there because they told us to go. And I, I, if I knew any better, I probably wouldn't have took the sergeant's strike. Mm -hmm. I didn't know any better there. I thought, hey, they, I know I'm not that intelligent, but hey, I know I used to shoot a lot of good rabbits, whatever, but I was, I was good with a rifle. But, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it, you're not thinking. You into it for the, for the, to better yourself. And you figure as a youngster, the more rank you look and see a guy's got a corporal, a, a PFC even, PFC, corporal, a sergeant, hey, those are guys got good rank. They must be making good money. <laughs> and how, how were you, you treated among your colleagues when they saw you rise to the rank so quickly? They didn't, uh, they thought I was, uh, didn't have good sense. And I probably didn't because I didn't, I, they had been there a while. The guys that wasn't accepting it, they didn't go up front. But I was there to make what I could out of it. Absolutely. So um, how did you uh, end your, what do they call it, oh, Bryant? When it ceasefire? <laughs> your tour, your tour. Well, yes, well, ceasefire, how did you end your tour there? How did everything stop? You were there till the end of the war? Yeah, I have put up 38 parallel. After that, and then we could come home. Wow. And when I came home, I could get out, and I got out. <laughs> but I got out within mine. I was talking to a lot of older people. And they they happen to be Caucasian, and they say, "Hey, get out and start working for them if you don't want to stay in." So I started working for them. For the military. Yes, working for oh, the army at Fort Knox. As what? Not. Yeah, what was your role? Just a worker cleaning up the dining room. I had to try to make a living, and all you and all a youngster could do is take what he could get. I hadn't graduated from the high school, so I didn't have I didn't know anything, but work. And so then uh, later on, my wife, uh, uh, I was married. I got married, and my wife had a kid, and. She died two hours after the kid was born. And then I stayed there at Fort Knox for a while. And so mm -hmm. three years, my new wife came through and the lady says, we got a, a black nurse coming through. And uh, she was Caucasian and she was uh, kept wanting to go fishing with me and I wouldn't let her go because I, I didn't like, I didn't care for that, you know? And so, when she got there, she got there, and I told her I had a house. I had already built me a house there in Kentucky, three-bedroom mm -hmm. house, mm -hmm. and I had it paid for in three years. And so she oh. said, "And so she says, uh, well, I like to go fishing, and I go fishing sometime with you. I said, sure, oh, you can go. So the Caucasian lady said, well, we both go. So they went with me, and then I took them by the house, and they said, my little boy, and then they say, well, one of these days when we have a holiday, we'll come and stay. I said, well, you have to bring your own food because my kitchen don't have nothing in it. <laughs> so they went by the commissary and uh, I guess they got some wine. I didn't drink. I, didn't, I still, I never drank in my life. And then when I, I married the, the black girl, the nurse, she says uh, she was smoking and that. I said, you ought to stop that smoking. I said, that tobacco will kill you. And so she says, well, when they start cutting tobacco, I want to go down and see what it'll do. 
So I took out on a farm. We had a farm. My dad and grandfather had a farm. And uh, so I took her down there. And she seen how they were curing that tobacco and, and cutting it. And she stopped smoking after that. Because she, oh. I was showing her what we would do to that tobacco. We spraying Paris green and arsenic lead on it to kill the worms and the bugs. Oh. And that was getting into the leaf of the back. And when she seen that, no more smoking for her. I don't think most people know that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you smoke? Wow. <laughs> no, I do not. My no. dad did. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, wow. my, my grandmother smoked a pipe and dipped stuff, but she, they raised her some where they didn't spread stuff on it. But like I say, she lived to be 103. <laughs> wow wow since, since we're talking about age uh what do you think made her so strong for so long you know in terms of her longevity what do you think kept her going i think what kept her going is eating out of the garden and uh more or less seeing after the kids she's seen after the whole neighborhood white black <laughs> and all and she was allowed to be the warden, we call her. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh yeah, but she she'd make you Oh but, no. <laughs> but she she would make you work. She would make you work, get out and cut wild greens and black mustard and go out and and uh, rob honey trees and and uh so then they would she Believe in a lot in roots and things from trees. Mm. She'd make tea and stuff like uh, sage tea, uh, saffron tea. Always, oh, you get a little ill, and she's gonna get something for you. Oh wow, she knew it. She and knew how she, to do it. Huh? And, and she always was. We'd go to the field, and she might have ten kids with her cutting wild greens. And, she, and then she yeah. and she'd go back. She'd show you what to cut, and she'd go back and cook for all of the kids. Oh, so I goodness. think that she never, I she never worked for nobody else. Mm. She always just worked around the house. But it was, it was, it was, it was nice. But it wasn't nice then. But it was nice after I got away. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's what kept her strong. And she smoked the pipe. She smoked the, the tobacco that they raised for her. She smoked that tobacco. And uh, she lived a long time. Never <laughs> was sick. Oh, my. Never so, in the hospital. Or nothing. Now, going back uh, to your childhood, do you remember some of the stories she would tell you um, growing up that you remember fondly? Uh, not really. Not really. Okay. Because she had so many to tell you, and then she would tell so many uh, to hold you spellbound, to keep you busy, to keep you wondering did it really happen or scare you or something all the time, you know. <laughs> Mostly something to frighten you. <laughs> <laughs> keep, keep the little kids scared. That's right. Yeah, all the, the time, scared. yeah. <laughs> so you're saying that your grandmother had a farm and your family had a farm. Did you farm at all? Did I? Yes. Uh, I, I, if you were the child of my dad, uh, her grandkid, you was gonna farm. You gonna work on that farm. <laughs> you, 
it wasn't no free ticket for no kids. If you uh, were, if you was four or five years old, they would put you in that tobacco patch, and you would crawl around on the knees. So the older guy, people would be too tall and bending over all the time. They put the little ones down on there, pulling the bottom knees off. Oh, yeah. And so they they yeah they kept you busy, and then you didn't have a lot of uh, you had chores. But then they would give you a break. She would take you fishing. She might take 10 or 11 of you fishing, like ponds and, and uh, cutting, like I say, greens. And, and you'd be working out there with no off time. Yeah. yeah. So you, you are um, a tobacco farmer. Yeah. That's pretty cool. <laughs> is hey that was a major crop you know made people made a lot of that money was in that farming. was that was a money crop yeah that was the only yeah. crop for money right yeah. now when you came to los angeles because i know a lot of people don't realize the uh farming communities that came from the south and moved to the west coast uh because i mean california is rich in farming did any of that translate for you I mean, when you said, okay, we're going west. Um, no, no, because I, I I figured if I was lucky enough to get out of the military, mm -hmm. then I was going to double right back and take all the schooling that I could get to, to get a job with the government. So then that's what I did. I, I went to a cook and baker school that would get me into the hospital. Hospital has no layoffs, you know? And Good so point. I started out there. And then when I got to California, I went to college over here. I went to photography school, became a pretty good photographer, but it didn't do it. Nice. I didn't do it for a living because I was working for the army. And then I left the army it went to veterans and became a supervisor for the Veterans Administration. And then uh, I wasn't satisfied there. I went to uh, the Corps of Engineers. Mm -hmm. So I went to auto mechanics. I took auto mechanics in the college and uh, learned how to build engines and things. And then I got me a job with the Corps of Engineers. So when the, the Army wasn't all that good, out here because when i when i went to get the get to be a, a job a supervisor for the army corps motor pool the caucasian told uh, the guy he wasn't going to show me anything and uh, if i got the job he would quit yeah he said i won't show him anything so the guy, the the head, uh, the uh, colonel said, "Well, I guess you're going to have to quit." They yeah. took a, they took seven, six or seven hours to interview me. The three mm -hmm. of them, three of uh, supervisors interviewing me. So they said, "Well, maybe we'll uh, pick Frank." They said, "Well, uh, I don't know whether I'll I'll take that job or not." And the guy that was in there in charge, he was a Masonic guy. And so back in those days, uh, Masonic was kind of big for 
minority black folks. That was one thing mm. you could get a foothold if you got in with the Masons. Yeah, so and they're still going strong. Yeah, so I became a 32nd degree Mason. Oh. Um, and then when I went to the board, and there's a Caucasian guy on the board, he was a Mason. And he was ahead of the board. And he told the guy, he says, how would you like for Frank to be your assistant? He said, he can't be my assistant. He said, if he come into motor pool, I'll quit. I'll retire. That's the day I retire. And so they kept around there another two hours. He says, well, look like we're going to have to pick him because we don't have nothing better coming out of the uh, pot. Mm -hmm. He said, that's the day I leave. And then uh, he says, uh, I had been working for the government. I said, uh, he said, when do you expect them to come to work? I said, well, I'd be to work in about three weeks from now. Three weeks from now? I said, yeah. And so the big guy said, why three weeks? I said, because I'm going to take a three-week vacation, buy me, <laughs> go across country, and go back down in the country where I used to live and let them see what I'm doing. They said he would never. They said he would never amount to nothing. <laughs> but see, I had a, I had something on my side. My grandfather was a minister. Two uncles were ministers, so we could get in no trouble. Mm -hmm. So all of us had to be good boys. Boys around there, they were getting in trouble then. But he, my grandfather, took me to be his driver. So I like that. I excelled there. I thought I was doing good because when he, the preachers back in those days, when they got to eat first, they get all of the chicken legs and things and you get the bony part. So I'm the preacher's driver. So I get to sit in there and that's like I'm a grown up. Sit in there and get, <laughs> so I had some good day. I had some good day. You had some, you had the big pieces of chicken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How old were you, may I ask, when you were driving? Uh, about 14. I was about to say, if you left at 17, you were driving well under where people normally start driving. <laughs> so 14 <laughs> years old and you were the driver of yeah. the town's preacher. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was pretty good. But it was kind of hard back there in Kentucky because, see, black folks my age, we had to walk about four miles to school. It's rain, mm -hmm. snow, white people was bust. We was not. Yeah. We now, since we're talking, I know a, a lot of this involves uh, racism. So when you look at Kentucky, then you go to a place like California, did you anticipate there would be the same racism or more? I mean, because you think of California, the liberal state. But then it always surprises people that it could be so such a hot pocket of racism. Uh, I, 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 I said, uh, I would say I, I did better in Kentucky coming up with the racism than I did in California. Because uh, oh, interesting. you even knew where you stood in Kentucky. Mm -hmm. in, in California, you did not. And that's like what the guy says uh, going forward a little. He says, if you give him that job, I'll leave. Because he didn't want to be in the job with me. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I could be in the job as a mechanic, but I couldn't be in there as his uh, supervisor next to him. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, you saw racism with your coworker in California, and I guess when you moved on your block, um, yeah, you said it was more subtle in California than in Kentucky. Were there any other examples? I, you know, as you grew up under your parents and your grandparents, uh, they taught you what to do. And if you followed their instruction, you wouldn't go wrong. But the reason a lot of us went wrong because we didn't follow. They didn't know, but they didn't know, but they knew how to raise kids. Mm -hmm. Love when we spend time with the neighbors here in Los Angeles and one who uh, settled a community quite early as an African-American pioneer. That Mr. Coates is amazing, isn't he? He is. And look at how he overcame quite a bit to uh, just settle and buy a home in these areas. Yeah, and he had a lot to deal with. His first wife passing away, complications of childbirth. It looked like he never gave up when he set his mind to do something. Never stopped trying. We'll have more from our visit to Compton when we return. And what, what advice do you give uh, young people today, like your kids, your children, your grandchildren, that your grandparents and your parents gave you? Well, you know, my had a, I had a hard-headed son, but I guess he was more or less like me. So <laughs> The best so, ones always are. <laughs> but, you know... I don't know. I, I, I made it real good for him. It's one of them. I got two sons. I have two okay. kids. And, the, and I would tell him what I went through coming up, and he know what I went through. And then when he got up old enough, he finished, oh, he's a great basketball player. He played for the Kentucky Wildcats. And, uh, and uh, I says, uh, I want you to go on and finish school, uh, college now. And he he would always he would always had a, a way of coming. Well, you didn't finish school. Mm. Why you want me to finish school? I said I didn't have no choice. You got a choice. Mm-hmm. And so, but he went on and finished college, and he says, "Well, you know what? I don't know. I think I'll get me a job." I said, "Get you a job where?" He said, in the military. Mm-hmm. So I said, that'd be good. So I said, well, uh, why'd you put in for an uh, officer job? I said, you are, you're a graduate from college. And so he says, well, I'm going to get a job with the military intelligence. I said, oh. that sounds good. You, you're smart, I told him. So <laughs> he, he did. He stayed in the Army. He got in the Army, and he uh, overseas. He married, got married to one of the girls that from his hometown. And so he says, uh, well, you know what? I've been in the army 13 years now. I said, oh, good. You're not too, <laughs> you're not too far from retirement. Retirement. <laughs> yeah. He says, yeah, but I'm not going to retire. I said, why? Because I put in my papers for me to be discharged. I said, discharged? Oh. Why would you do that? Mm-hmm. Well, he would always come back at me. Well, you got out, didn't you? I, didn't have, I have to tell him all the time, I didn't have no choice. You got mm-hmm. a choice. 
And, you know, and so finally he got out and his, his wife, his wife was in the army too. Okay. And uh, so they got out and so they did good, but uh, he, I still don't understand him. <laughs> he don't understand me either, I guess. <laughs> but he never been in no trouble. <laughs> oh, that's so important to have that lineage. <laughs> yeah. No trouble. You guys yeah. are successful. And I love that the military was there for you. I know it was probably very, very bumpy, but in the end, you know, it seems to have come through. Yeah. I mean, Brian, Brian, you have good vibes about the military still, right? Or No, it never leaves you. And I think the principles and the things that you learn and the experiences you go through will stay with you the rest of your life in a good way, some, some ways in, in a negative way, I guess. But you always look at the good after you look back on certain things, you know. A lot of times i and, i uh, think I, I think you'll find more good than you would bad right you know <laughs> you know i just look at how sometimes you can run into obstacles like limitations on being uh promoted and those kinds of things and i think that's internal in the military corporate america and wherever you go <laughs> yeah you know and well, you just have to learn how to navigate and go around and over and however you can get to where you want to go you know and then you, you can't give up if you give up too easy, then they got you. Words to live by, and we'll have more right after this. I want to talk a little bit about Compton, because I know it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's world famous, especially after the movie. After <laughs> saw the movie. <laughs> Compton has produced a lot of talent on a number of levels, but let's talk mm-hmm. specifically about... Uh, I don't know, the rappers. And I know, I think Anita told me that you also made friends with some of the uh, uh, not-so-legal groups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to get them to see the right way that they could live longer. <laughs> Did it work? And what would you tell them? What would you tell the guys? Like uh, well, tell them to get them a job first. And then, but, mm-hmm. the, but uh, most of the time... Uh, you know, I don't know, but most of the youngsters, they never, they they, they always took what I said to heart. Mm-hmm. They never talked back to me. I can see them right now in the street. And, I, and, it, uh, and they just, just like they are my son. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They would, they would, they would hate for me to catch them into something. I know about them being into something. I know a lot about them. But yeah. uh, they they respect me. I respect them, and and, and uh, they treat me just like uh, I'm their father, godfather, or somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. Because most all of them came up. Uh, see, we adopt. Well, we didn't adopt. My wife had a sister had a bad marriage, and so she had three kids. So I took them in. Oh, it sent wow. it sent them to private school, so a lot of the kids became their friends. But uh, then, but I used to take them. I I I take the neighborhood kids up north, and we'd go fishing, nice. stay out for camping for two or three days. So they still remember it. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I would remember that. It sounds like a blast. <laughs> And what what do they call you? Uh, what do the kids call you? Now the grown oh, people call you. Mr. All of them call me Paul. 
The guy said, how many kids do you have? I said, I don't know. <laughs> Both have two, but sometimes you look around, it'd be eight or ten around. So, yeah. That, that keeps you young, I'm sure. Keeps you young. Oh, now they want to be the boss. They all used to like to come here and they could, they'd be free here because I would tell them it's true, but I would get after them too. But uh, Compton has a lot to do. They have a large motorhome club, black motorhome club. Uh-huh. I think it's uh, about 60 of us. They down the street from where I live, they got uh, black uh, cowboys. They got horses and things down there. And so uh, it's a lot of good things happening in Compton you don't hear about. Hmm but you get to participate in. It sounds pretty special. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't want to live no other place but in Compton. Mr. Coates is that hardworking neighbor who is thankfully enjoying the fruits of his labor. Yes, indeed. And if there's a veteran that you would like featured on our show, let us know at BeforeYouGo.tv. That's BeforeYouGo.tv. And thank you for listening to us here on KBLA Talk 1580. And before we go, we want to remind everyone that these stories are what make a show like ours possible. Make sure you take the time to reach out and call your elders who carry so much history. There's no time like the present. What What a a gift. gift.